You're listening to Scorched. A raw, real, and unfiltered podcast about drag racing and motorsports. Hosted by the man willing to burn it all down. And now, the man himself, E3 Extreme's own Damon Steinke. Okay, let's rock and roll. Welcome, everybody. So, this is going to be the first time that we take questions, I take questions, from you guys uh, regarding my thoughts on the questions that you have about drag racing. So, um, (laughs) no garage. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I will be looking over uh, regarding questions. Uh, anybody who's got a question, let's roll with it. I will be more than happy to answer pretty much any damn question you guys have. As long as it's not fucking stupid, I'll answer it. Thank you, Erica. So, if anybody has got a question, shoot them off. We're going to run for about an hour. Who killed Radio versus the World? This has been a hot topic today. I've seen it on the internet. Uh, So let's get into it. I've been saying for a while now that class is dead. Some people wanted to disagree with me until I laid out the reasons why. Um, I've got nothing against Donald. Do I think that the rules over the last 18 months have slowly killed the class off? Yes, because turbos were essentially phased out uh, in favor of pro-charger combos. So, I mean, if you ask a lot of the turbo tuners, they're going to say the turbo rules were bullshit, and that's why that class has slowly decayed. You've got the Pro Charger cars and screw blowers. That's about it. I mean, let's be realistic here. Most cars, most nitrous combos are not going to come anywhere near a 49. Marcus's combo, low 50s. But consistently, it's going to be hard for a nitrous car to ever compete with a Pro Charger. And the Turbo guys all said, fuck it, we're not even going to bother the rules are fucked. We're either going to switch to Pro Charger, we're going to step down to Pro 275, which we saw a lot of RVW cars do, step down to Pro 275, which essentially is a baby RVW class. So it'll be interesting to see how well the rules are kept in check with Pro 275 to make sure the same thing doesn't happen there that's happened with RVW. I I never want to see a class go away. I was sad when Outlaw 10.5 did, but let's face it. We've had more than a decade of great RVW racing, but I think it's dead. I think a lot of the guys are putting big tires on and going pro mod racing. So that tells you a lot right there. Should metal guardrails be outlawed at all racetracks regardless of the speed of cars? Yes. The problem with that is, 
it is extremely expensive for track owners to do poured walls. Now, I don't know what the cost is to do uh, the individual sections. I think they call them jersey barriers. Um, but it is extremely expensive to do true poured walls. And so, yeah, I want to say yes, but there's a lot of tracks out there that don't have the monetary ability to do poured walls, even at an eighth mile track. And unfortunately, people keep racing at those tracks. So, I mean, what's the answer? Who's going to foot the bill? Um, and this comes back to a lot of tracks closing and the problem with tracks closing is then people are forced to go to tracks that are marginal when it comes to safety, whether it be actually checking safety equipment or having guardrails. And a lot of the onus of that falls on fans not showing up, um, shit like that. I mean, there's a whole slew of reasons that tracks close. And the real estate market has not helped drag racing because it is easier to sell your property, make a whole lot of money. Because it, let's face it, if an insurance place comes in and offers you four to five times the tax assessed value of the property, you're probably going to sell it because it's going to be extremely difficult for you to ever make that type of money just having bracket races or heads up races once in a while. It's just not going to work. So that is the reason that you see tracks closing because they are getting offered stupid money for real estate. I mean, wouldn't you? It, let's say your house is worth $300,000 and somebody offers you $1.2 million. You're going to keep it just on principle alone? Probably not. You're probably going to take the 1.2 and run. And that's kind of what's happening in the drag racing industry right now with commercial development and insurance auctions buying up all this land. Kevin asked, is NPK the new hot ticket for everyone to switch to? Why did I know that somebody was going to bring up NPK like right off the rip? My answer is no, but there's a reason for that, and it's not because of my dislike of NPK. So I'll get that out of the way right away. You guys pretty much know how I feel about the no prep world. It's not my cup of tea, not a huge fan. There's a lot of politics that come into play when we're talking about racers going to NPK. There's a lot of hoops to jump through and things like that. If you've got a personality, somebody like a Justin Swanstrom that knows how to play to the camera, give a good interview, build a quality car, go out there and bust his ass and race, then yes. But if you are, if you're not willing to put six figures into a build and then build your social media following and be out in front of people and things like that, it's not going to be worth your time. Uh, they are looking for a very specific type of person. And when I say person, we're not necessarily talking about a racer. We're talking about 
people because you are producing a television show. So the television show has to be engaging. The racing isn't the only thing that's going to be engaging for the casual fan that's watching TV. They need entertainment value. And I know that Mark brought this up earlier. A lot of people have forgotten that drag racing is in entertainment business. We are in the business of entertaining fans. No different than NASCAR, F1, Indy, Monster Trucks, World Rally, whatever it may be. It's the business of, yes, it's the business of motorsports, but it is also the business of entertainment. And so many people have so many outlets to spend their money that if you don't provide an entertainment value for them, your stands are going to be empty. If you overcharge, your stands are going to be empty. Look at No Prep Kings. They get a hell of a crowd, and there's a couple of reasons. One, a lot of those guys are really good with the fans. Like them or hate them, they're good with the fans. Uh, they're very. A lot of them are very approachable, and fans like that. They like being able to approach the people that they see on TV. So do I think NPK is the future of drag racing? No, absolutely not. Because I do think that it is going to be uh, a very select few people that end up on a program like that. Take the NFL draft or the NBA draft. Kind of the same thing. Only a select few are ever going to make it to that level of that genre of drag racing. So, no, I don't think that it is going to be the future for drag racing as a whole. I still think bracket racing is the foundation of our sport. It gets very little uh, credit from the media or anybody else because a lot of people think it's boring. But the simple fact is, it is really the foundation in which a lot of tracks are even able to stay open. So let's not forget about drag racing. But no, I don't think that No Prep Kings or No Prep in general is, is where you're going to see a lot of people. Because a lot of people won't put up with uh, the bullshit of traveling from fucking Virginia all the way to Idaho in three days. Um, you've got to be super committed if you've got a business or a job, it's going to be extremely difficult to even be able to pull that off. I know I've talked to a lot of drivers that are not thrilled with the schedule. I understand, but again, they're making that choice with the opportunity. Uh, it's going to become unsustainable to race. Yeah, the the more, and, and Mark brings up a good point here, the more the money comes into, uh, the more the money comes into it, the more it's it's going to become extremely difficult for uh, the smaller teams in NPK to compete, whether that is somebody, you know... I mean, remember, you're going to have to be competing against a Ryan Martin, a Justin Shearer, um, Cody Barker, Mike Marillo, and I'm not saying that they all have a ridiculous amount of money, but for now... They are spending their money to go race 
because of the exposure that it provides them. Not only the money that they have the opportunity to win, but the exposure that they get from it. Let's face it. If you're working with sponsors or trying to find sponsors, the objective is to get publicity for your sponsor, for your branding partner. They want you out in front of potential new customers. You are attempting to brand their product so that people could purchase it. TV is a great way of doing that. NPK has got a huge fan base. Street Outlaws has a huge fan base. So it makes sense. And again, there are some people who think that uh, NPK is the worst thing in the world. There are some people who are just don't care. And there are some people that think it's the greatest thing since fucking sliced bread. I don't, I'm neither here nor there about it. I mean, it's not my cup of tea. Um, I'm friends with some of the drivers that do race in it, and I understand why they race in it. Because... <clears throat> There's a lot more money to be won there. And the fringe benefits are a lot better than most other heads-up series. Pinks and Pinks All Out was a huge draw for a while, and then it blew up. Yeah, that's, that's true. We need to focus. Brennan says we need to focus on quality burnouts. Brennan is 100% correct, and I will tell you why Brennan is 100% correct. It comes back to what I was talking about a couple of minutes ago, and that is the entertainment value. Uh, Tristan asked if RVW was uh, dead. We actually talked about that at the top of the show. So if you didn't see it, didn't hear it, you'll have to wait until the podcast drops. And you'll be able to watch all of it. Um, but, yeah, uh, Brendan has got a very good point. Uh, long, smoky burnouts, as some announcers would would say. It's entertainment value. It brings people to their feet. They love those eighth-mile burnouts. That's what makes drag racing great. These huge, smoky burnouts and the smell and the sound... I mean, what's better? Honestly, I can't think of much. And I know I'm a little biased, obviously, because I've been around drag racing for more than 30 years, but still. Did Kai make like 300 in shirt sales in a year? Kevin asked. I don't know what Kai's financials are like, but I do know talking to some of the... Uh, other drivers that participate in NPK and Street Outlaws, when they go to local small tracks like a Brainerd or any of these smaller tracks in the South, they can make a hefty profit on selling their merch in one night. Um, I have seen, even at bigger races, where they'll sell as much merch in a weekend monetarily as damn near what I make in a year. So, yeah, they definitely do have the opportunity to make a lot of money in merch. One of the issues that I've seen over the last year or so is what I would call... Uh, they, they saturate the market, though. 
that's the problem. So when you see some of the TV guys travel from track to track to track to get appearances, the problem is they're not stretching out the distance between the tracks that they're visiting. So I saw this in Tennessee last year. I think some of the guys visited like three or four tracks all within a couple hours of each other. Well, it, it's unless you are dedicated to your home track, you may have gone to one of those other tracks to see him and your home track is going to suffer because of it. So it takes the what's special about it. It takes that out of the equation because you are oversaturating the market. And the same thing has happened with radial over the last few years is that we've oversaturated the market with radio racing and now a lot of people are are backing off of that and going to mild prep, no prep, uh, even bracket races, things like that, because it's become so saturated and it's not as special anymore. We used to have a bunch of great radio races. There aren't as many anymore. There are still some great radio races, uh, just not what we were accustomed to a few years ago, especially before uh, the pandemic hit. I'm just going to scroll up and see if I missed anything, which... Yeah, if fans do make the business go round, with uh, I hear a lot of arguments uh, in regards to... Um, <laughs> Mark is right, every, every motherfucker tried to be a radio promoter. That didn't work out well. Uh, you can't... Listen, the radio guys are not like the, the TV production guys. They're not going to travel, uh, you know, every other weekend to do this shit and tear their shit up because they're just not. It's not fundamentally worth it to them, so why bother? Um... Opinions on PDRA Pro Street. I fucking love it. Tyler asked, Tyler Morgano, uh, for those of you that don't know, Jerry Morgano's son. Tyler. Sorry, got to get some water in my AC up here. Not working, so it's 87 degrees upstairs. Pro Street in PDRA. God, I hope that class takes off. Essentially, it's old outlaw 10-5 um, to... to I don't want to dumb it down, but that's really what it is. And it is fucking awesome. I grew up on the Outlaw 10.5 and things like that. So, and Super Street Outlaw. So to see Outlaw 10.5 in that form with uh, what PDRA calls Pro Street is, listen, if we could have entire events with just that class, that class in Pro Mod, I'd be all over that shit. Um, it is super entertaining to watch. The drivers are super cool. Uh, back on the old school uh, big tires, not the home run derby radials. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I love radials. But radial, I don't want to go uh, too far off track here but the simple fact is radial racing is a fucking home run derby I mean I, I don't think that very many people will argue with me in regards to the fact that it was it, it had become a home run derby 
uh, you do you get some good side-by-side racing. In classes like Ultra and X and LDR especially, I think LDR is the best uh, radial class, period. Um, but, yeah, Pro Street, yeah, Pro Street, good, great side-by-side racing like you see in Pro Mod. And you don't have to put 87 fucking gallons of glue on the track and wait for it to set and drag and set and drag and and annoy the shit out of the people in the stands when it's 85 degrees out and they just want to see some damn racing. They want to see racing. They don't want to see fucking track prep. So Pro Street is great because you don't have to do all the shit that you have to do with radial. And we get good side-by-side racing just like we do in Pro Mod. Uh, let's see. David asked, what do you think about all the guys starting YouTube channels? Uh, do you think they see the TV show fading away? No. Um, so I've worked with a lot of companies, uh, in the past, and... YouTube is just another outlet to create content and get your name out there, uh, help get your branding partner's names out there, build a following, and the simple fact is you can make a lot of fucking money on YouTube. Um, our podcasts go on YouTube. I keep saying ours, but, you know, obviously I'm the host. But uh, the podcasts and creating content and building a brand and building a following, that's how you do it nowadays. You use the tools that are available to you, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, um, Instagram, uh, TikTok, uh, Twitter. I don't know many drag racers that are on Twitter except for NHRA guys uh, solely because uh, Twitter is is kind of pointless for our industry. Um so David Gates asked, so to answer your question, no, YouTube isn't, it's got nothing to do with the TV. It's just got to do with building your current brand and continuing to grow because the TV show wants you to build your brand and that's how you do it. Justin Swanson is a prime example of that. He has done amazingly well with building his YouTube channel and I think that that helps him build his brand. Uh, David Gates asks, will Pro 275 fade out like Outlaw 105 did? Yes. There's your answer. I don't know what else to tell you. The problem is we're already well into the 60s in Pro 275. All you did was take radio versus the world cars and put a 275 on them. And with the technology that people like Shannon Davis, Mark Menser... Proline and pretty much everybody else, you know, as far as tuning and suspension, traction control, all you did was put a smaller tire on a damn car that makes 4,000 horsepower to begin with. And once you get to the point of no return, there's really no ability to reel it in. You're going to have the haves and have-nots. And what are you going to do at that point? I mean, LDR is a low 390s class, and... To be Top Gun in Pro 275, which is essentially the next step up in radial, uh, if you want to be top half of the field, you're going to have to run low 70s probably. 
So you're talking a two-tenths jump from the world record in LDR to go into Pro 275. So there's already a huge gap between LDR and Pro 275, and I don't see that changing. Uh, I see people building Pro 275 cars because Donald did do a great job at creating the class, but again, he wants max effort, balls to the wall, home run derby, huge numbers, and you get great racing in Pro 275, don't get me wrong, but it will kill the class. It, it, it You've got to keep these classes, and there's, I'll get a whole bunch of shit about this, and that's, you know, guys know that I don't fucking care. Um, because I don't make the rules, but I probably see more passes down the track than most people do every year. And with that said, unless you control the rules and get in front of it before it gets out of hand, if you don't get it before it's out of hand, you're fucked. Uh, it is what it is. I mean, these guys that are running high 60s I don't know why the hell anybody is surprised when you're taking three four four thousand plus horsepower and putting it on a smaller tire but using the exact same technology what did you expect would happen I mean we never did anybody honestly think that we were just going to hang out in the 80s and the high 70s it's so do I do I see Pro 275 being around as long as RVW did at a top level no uh, do I see it going away anytime soon? Absolutely not. I think it's still uh, the new kid on the block. People like it. Uh, they feel that they can compete in it, and I think it'll it'll continue to grow for a while. Uh, do I think that we're going to be talking about Pro 275 a decade from now? No. I, I just don't. Um, I think that the... I, I just... I don't foresee it sticking around for as long as radio versus the world has, unfortunately. It is what it is. Um, and of course I get a text message like I can actually answer it. Uh, let's see. Is Pro 275 legit? Well, we just pretty much talked about that. Is it even possible to get ahead of the rules? Uh, Tyler asked if it's possible to get ahead of the rules, John Sears tried for years and X got out of hand. I was waiting for somebody to bring up uh, my thoughts on the rules with X and Ultra. John and I have had long conversations about this. John knows that I love him. And um, X is fucked. I, I mean, X is really fucked. Um, Ultra, I think Ultra is okay. Um, as far as the numbers that they're running and containing that. We just saw Yellow Bullet the first time that a car went in the 40s in, you know, however long. Uh, realistically, we were in the mid-50s and low-50s last year. So the progression to, I mean, Ronnie Rhodes ran a 50 last year, I believe it was, at Cecil. And then uh, we saw 49 out of another car at Cecil again. So, but I think X is... X is fucked, unless you, and the problem is, and this isn't because of John, um, 
when I say the class is fucked, it's definitely not because of John. It's because if you did a black and white rules book for that class, it would be this damn thick. You can't do it. So every time that there's not a black and white rule, everybody is going to play in that gray area. Because if it doesn't say that it's not legal, they're going to assume that it's legal. Do I think that we need to slow that class down? I don't know how we do it at this point. So the problem with it... Um, yeah, Ultra... Ultra is in a lot better shape than X is right now. And the reason that I say that is because I think you don't have as many of the haves and have-nots in Ultra as you do X. I think people are willing... I think low 60s to mid 60s cars are willing to show up every weekend and still try to compete. Um, with X cars, I mean, you've essentially alienated most of the people out west and in Texas with the exception of Shane Heckle that you know you could be a low a low 30s X 275 car which 10 years ago I mean we were looking at 440s in radio versus the world and now we're looking at 14s in X275, and let's face it, some of these guys could probably run 4.0s. So why would you, if if you're a four a mid 4.30s to low 4.40s X275 car, why would you drive 15 hours to compete in X275? When you're going to have Rob and and Ron Rhodes and a, a handful of other cars that are going to be either in the teens or, I don't know, a 20 or a 21. It's, it's, X is great because there's so many different combinations, but that's also what screws it is because there's so many different combinations that it's extremely difficult to police. I mean, I look at, before Dom DiDonato uh, put up just stupid mile-an-hour numbers, I was looking at Gary White's numbers um, a year or two ago when Gary White and the Titan Supra would come out and everybody else was running, oh, I don't know, 166, 167, and then all of a sudden Gary would drop like 174. It's a clutch car. It's a V6. It, but it freight trains the back half like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Um, that is the one good thing about Pro 275. Uh, there was some joking around in the comments in regards to turbos being able to compete in Pro 275. Mark Benston proved at Yellow Bullet that uh, turbos can certainly compete in Pro 275 and get the job done. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm sorry, a straight six, not a V6. But uh, nonetheless... Uh, going back to the X275 stuff. Um, yeah, it got... I would have... I always said, once it gets into the 14s, this class is fucked. I'm just looking at... Uh, let's see. Classes are growing on an exponential level due to technology. 
No, I, Josh Ledford brings up a good point. Uh, the technology has dramatically grown in the last 10 years, and the tuning abilities um, have exponentially grown, whether it's Josh or Steve, Jamie, um, Jeffrey Barker, so many amazing tuners out there. Uh, but at the same time, you can have all the technology in the world if you limit the rules. You limit technology, <clears throat> but does that make for better racing? It's uh, six of one, half a dozen of another. So that's a tough call because we want to see great racing, but we also want to continue to progress. Do I think that we could see four O's in X275? I think there's cars out there that can run four O's, uh, but I, I hope to God that we don't see it. Tech breeds tech. New tech in, induces even newer tech. Well, and Josh is right. It's a constant push forward uh, when we're talking about tech. Uh, small things and and just so you guys know i will be having josh on for an entire podcast interview at some point uh, sooner than later but he's right uh, technology in our sport continues to increase but with that said technology in f1 has increased tenfold over the last 20 years also but they're still competitive and nobody is driving away from each other I'm not saying that every single car should be the same, but we need to make sure that we are creating a level playing field and that um, it's not the haves and have-nots all the time. Yes, uh, my friend Joe... Uh, Yes, you will, in fact, be a guest. Four O's and 275 this year or next without rule changes. And and John does his best, but, again, it comes down to technology. Yeah, it, it, it didn't. It, they've tried to slow some of these cars down, and it just didn't work. Um, somebody did ask me uh, earlier, uh, Brennan, my buddy Brennan from uh, Canada, how will EPA fines affect drag racing, or do you think it'll just stay diesel? This is actually really interesting. I had a conversation with uh, somebody at one of the extremely large parts manufacturer companies within our industry about a month or two ago, and we were actually talking about uh, the EPA and diesel. Well, you know what? I love diesels, and I love diesel racing, and I love diesel trucks. They fuck themselves. And I'll tell you exactly how they fuck themselves. You don't create attention and unwanted attention on your industry and then fucking cry about the fact that the EPA wants to shut you down. So you saw all these idiots for a couple of years out there talking about rolling coal and they've got these six inch fucking stacks on their truck and they're driving down the street looking like idiots, acting like douchebags, and then they wonder why it is that the government gets on their ass. Well, guess what? You created the problem. 
when you create your own problem and act like a fucking 12-year-old entitled dick nugget, this is the kind of shit that happens. You're driving down Main Street and you think it's cool to roll coal for 200 feet in the middle of a busy downtown area and then wonder why the fuck people get pissed off about it. You have nobody, the diesel industry has nobody to blame but themselves. They brought that ridiculously terrible attention on themselves and then they wanted to cry about it. So, no, drag racing, I don't think will ever have the same problem as the diesel industry because I don't think that, um, I don't think that a lot of people look at, I'm sorry, I'm playing with my mic way too much tonight. That sounded terrible too. Uh, I don't think that a lot of people look at drag racing the same way they look at the diesel industry. They look at diesel as raw coal and they look at diesel as dirty. I don't think they view drag racing in that manner. Um, I think they view drag racing as something that isn't necessarily uh, a necessity. Uh, what they fail to fucking realize is the amount of money in our industry, whether it's um, the creation of jobs, products, etc., all the way down the line. But again, uh, the diesel and I in West Clap made an interesting. We all have a little redneck in us. I agree. I agree. You are 100% right. But don't, for a second, sit here and fucking cry when the government cracks down on you because you brought the attention upon yourself. When you bring unwanted attention, what in the fuck do you think is going to happen? This is exactly what's going to happen. You guys brought it upon yourself. I've got no sympathy for you. I love you, but I've got no sympathy for you. Yeah, and, and Mark brings up a good point. Uh, it, the same with street racing. Uh, all fun and games until you kill a minivan full of kids. And you put a black mark on the entire industry. But you know what? Those people that do that shit, they don't care. Because they don't look at the big picture. So many people do not look at the big picture when it comes to drag racing or the motorsports industry they look at them they look at themselves oh i just want to go out and have some fun whatever it may be um and they don't look at the repercussions that street racing and i'm not talking about street outlaws i'm talking about these idiots that shut down interstates and do donuts in the middle of an interstate well, guess what all of that shit is bad publicity for the motorsports industry you understand that? Bad publicity for the motorsports industry. So if you choose to get, if you choose to go street racing and you are fucking dumb and crash into somebody else and kill them, I've got no sympathy for you. You should serve prison time an extremely long time and you should issue a fucking apology to the entire motorsports industry for being stupid. Now, I will say, with, with that, what I will say is the media outside of our industry is stupid, to say the least. Uh, the mainstream media, whether it's your local news or national news, seems to think that drag racing 
includes any display of speed on a street as well. They don't understand that there's a difference between street racing and drag racing because they're uneducated and they don't care because click, 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 that's all they want. They want people to go to their website. They want people to watch their broadcast, whatever it may be. So uh, that has been enough. I've sent numerous emails to um, local outlets, uh, whether it's here in Chattanooga, Atlanta, etc., in regards to the fact that they need to properly understand the difference between street racing and drag racing. Drag racing is something that we do in a controlled environment. Street racing is fucking stupid. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I'll be the first to admit I used to street race. Used to do stoplight to stoplight. We had a couple of places um, in Madison where I grew up, out on Lean Road, and there was another place, a business park off of Stoughton Road, down by the belt, or down by, yeah, down by the belt line, that we used to go race. Never would we race with any other cars around. You had somebody at the end, somebody at the beginning. You made sure everything was clear. Was it safe? No. Was it stupid? Yes. But if you turn around and bring a black eye onto the motorsports industry for acting dumb, you should just piss off. I'm just looking through, uh, looking through the comments here. Uh, do you think uh, Cody Driver asks... Uh, Cody Driver asks, what do you think... or? And what do you think PX should join Midwest as? I'm assuming he's talking about Midwest as a different. Do I think Pro Extreme should, Pro Extreme is dead. I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Cody. Pro Extreme is dead. Uh, I don't care what other organizations do. In my opinion, Pro Extreme is dead. Um. I mean, you even look at you even look at somebody like an Adam Flamhawk um, that it, it recently was talking about selling his ProMod, and because he's doing no prep stuff. So, do I think that it should essentially be? Uh, do I essentially think that it is a? viable uh, opportunity F fuck no um, if it was so great uh, before which it was when Frankie and a lot of those guys were running Pro Extreme it was, it was fucking amazing um, but everything runs its course and what you don't understand about drag racing is it's cyclical so you will have these cycles and these waves up and down whether it's radial racing, pro mod racing, small tire, uh, slick tire racing, but you're gonna have these ups and downs in these waves. Pro Extreme, would I love to see? Yes, do I think it's a good idea? No, and do I think it's viable as a class for, um, for any series? No, not really. I, I don't foresee it as something that uh, at this point would ever be viable again uh, unless you were running unless you had just legitimate unlimited funds and wanted to start a series where you were doing run what you brung but again 
you're talking about money. Uh, the chassis and the power adders. I mean, you're going to have to pay. If you wanted to run Pro Extreme as a legitimate class, you would have to pay out stupid money. And when I'm talking about stupid money, I'm talking about 20 grand or more per race for win. And I still don't think you're going to get people to do it because you are going you are going to be beating the shit out of your equipment. And I mean, we saw when Daniel ran a 49 in RVW. I'm sorry. I love Daniel, but nobody gave a shit. Nobody fucking cared when we finally broke into the 40s in RVW. So, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, Heather was pointing out my uh, little John Wick uh, pop character. Uh, apparently, uh, I failed to mention that uh, today is Monty Miko's birthday. Um, not that... Uh, not that any of you give a shit, but no, uh, all the love to Monty because he is one of the best uh, promoters that I've ever worked with. Uh, he does Yellow Bullet Nationals up at Cecil County Dragway. Uh, we get to have two of them this year. Uh, I don't remember uh, if we've announced that we're having two of them next year. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, we had the makeup for this year and obviously Labor Day weekend. I'll be at uh, Cecil County covering that race uh, with Michael Miranda. Uh, that does all of my video editing as well. Um, so big shout out to Monty. He's on the live feed tonight. Uh, I love you, and I will definitely see you in September, which also happens to be my birthday weekend. So you better have something nice planned for me. Fuck him. Let's discuss. I'm trying to figure out where we're at with our uh, with our discussion here. Just uh, bear with me a second. Yeah, he, he, and Aaron is right. Pro Extreme would only come back if you were paying like 30 grand to win, and nobody is going to do that. And nor do I blame them. I just don't think, uh, from a content creator standpoint, street racing is leaps and bounds better than traditional drag racing when it comes to viewership. Michael brought that up. Um, listen, I don't disagree, and it's the... Um, so, in I'll address that for a second. You want to know why that is? Because people like to see fucking train wrecks. It's the same reason people go to hockey matches. They go to see a fight. They go to NASCAR because they want to see a crash. They go to this shit or view this shit uh, living vicariously. And so, yes, it gets a lot of viewership. It doesn't mean... It, the Kardashians had a fucking TV show for a decade. It doesn't mean that it's worth a shit. It just means that people are willing to watch it. So, uh, you know, in regards to that, he's right. People will watch it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's worth a fuck. But, yeah, people will watch it just like the Kardashians or any other, the Jersey Shore or any of those other fucking train wrecks of a TV show. Uh, Brandon, I don't think you really missed much, but if you've got a question, by all means, shoot away. A lot of talk in the chat right now. Hockey is quality family time, uh, according to Brandon. Uh, I love sports, uh, including hockey, but I never understood the rules, so I guess that's why I never really got into it. 
I'm just trying to see stupid is biggest bang for your buck when it comes to post engagement. Yeah, Mark is exactly correct. Uh, stupidity pays off. Um, so let me tell you, here's a prime example. I'll put up an article on our website. I'll link it on social media, whatever it may be. Uh, Josh, we already talked about uh, X275, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so to give you an example of stupid, I'll post a meme on the uh, E3 Extreme Facebook page, and it'll view it'll get like 10,000 views. Uh, and a bunch of, you know, 50 or 100 shares and all these likes and whatever. It'll have a huge engagement. And I'll, then I'll post a legitimate news article that we've done on E3 Extreme, and the fucking reach is nothing. Like, people are so simple-minded sometimes that it doesn't matter how good the content is. They just want something... They want something that they're going to look at and just you know, laugh about it and move on, uh, which is really, really sad. I think they're still talking about some hockey in the uh, chats. What race are you most excited about for the finish of 2021? Ooh, what race? That's tough. Um, <clears throat> Obviously, I'm always excited about my Midwest races. Uh, I will talk about the NHRA track closings in a minute, too. Um, and that will probably actually wrap up the show, will be those two topics. Uh, so, the races that I look forward to the rest of 2021, I can't pick one. I've got three. And I, I'm not going to mention uh, Midwest Drag Racing Series. Uh, though, obviously, because I've been involved with that, <coughs> excuse me, I'm involved with that, so I'm not going to mention those. If we're just talking about standalone races, uh, World Street Nats is not one of them. Standalone races, I got three of them. Um, Yellow Bullet Nationals on Labor Day weekend at uh, Cecil County Dragway uh, in Maryland. Shakedown in Virginia, which is a few weeks after that, uh, at uh, Virginia Motorsports Park. That's one that Tyler puts on, Monty puts on, Yellow Bullet. And the last one, honestly, is going to be Snowbirds. Snowbirds at Brainington Motorsports Park. Uh, Victor is paying 50000 guaranteed to win ProMod. Do you realize how many ProMods of top caliber are going to show up for that race? I would be shocked if we had less than 45 to 50 Pro Mods on the property. That race is going to be insane. That's the first weekend of December, I believe it is. I'd have to double check my double check my dates. But those are the three, not including series races, so not including like the PDRA World Finals or Throwdown in Tulsa, which is also a Midwest race. Not including those. The three races that uh, I look most forward to, I always look forward to going to Tulsa. Uh, I get to hang out with Ellen, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just a great time in Tulsa. But what I am saying is three standalone races, Yellow Bullet Nationals in Cecil County, Shakedown at Virginia, and Snowbirds 
at Bramington Motorsports Park. I mean, 50000 to win. Pro. I think between those three races, I think, and again, I have not looked at the flyers, but between those three races, I think it's almost 100000 to win Pro Mod if you add the three winner's purses up in Pro Mod. Um, that's pretty damn impressive right there. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. So I am really looking forward to all three of those. And, you know, it's it's pretty sporadic. I mean, you know, you're talking about going all the way up to the East Coast and all the way down to Florida, and Virginia is almost kind of like an in-between. And then, you know, obviously Tulsa and, and anything Midwest, I absolutely love going to because I support them wholeheartedly. And I think they have a great product that people just need to uh, latch on to because I think Ellen and Keith and everybody over there have done it. Amazing job, and I think PDRA is absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm not going to touch on NMRA or NMCA, so don't fucking ask. Um, lastly tonight, uh, we're going to talk about Houston. So, I think Stephen Stroud brought this up. You're going to flake like with Orlando. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be in Orlando. Um, yeah, and it is difficult because... Um, it is difficult because Snowbirds is in December, and then my first race of 2022 is back down at Brainington for U.S. Street Nationals, which is, again, a must-attend race every year. Uh, there's probably a, six or seven races that, and eventually I'll do a list in regards to this, um, a list of must-attend races, races like U.S. Street Nats, Lights Out, Shakedown, Yellow Bullet, U.S. or Snowbirds, Throwdown, uh, Throwdown, and Tulsa. Um, there's there's really some great racing, uh, so definitely check it out. Um, Stephen wanted me to address. Uh, I don't remember if it was Stephen or Aaron. One of the two asked me to address track closures. So we kind of touched on this at the beginning of the show, but. For those of you that don't know, Houston, uh, the big track in Houston used to be called Royal Purple Raceway. Now I think it's Houston Motorsports Park or something like that. Uh, they announced today that 2022, after the NHRA event, they're pretty much done. The uh, land has been sold, I believe, to a commercial developer. Um, some of that is old news. I've known for a while that it was sold or in the process of being sold. I just didn't know what was going to happen with the drag racing part of it. And obviously earlier this year, we lost the Atlanta track in Commerce, Georgia, uh, which was the Southern National stop for NHRA along with NMCA, NMRA had a joint event there. Uh, so we've, uh, we've essentially lost two huge NHRA tracks. And last year, Joliet closed I personally would be shocked if Joliet ever held an event again. Uh, I think that's going to, I think at least the drag strip's going to end up being bulldozed and that'll end up being commercial property of some sort too. So you're looking at three huge tracks. And then I've also heard rumors of a track in Florida, uh, not Orlando, not Bramington. I've heard of a track in Florida that was either sold or in the process of being sold. I have heard about a track in Tennessee. This is a rumor. I've heard about a track in Tennessee. 
that may have been sold. Last time I checked with the county assessor's office, they had told me that there was no finalized sale on that parcel yet, so that to me is just a rumor. Uh, the other track, the one in Florida, I have not been able to confirm because the track manager won't return my emails and neither will anybody else uh, in regards to that. So, Houston and, yeah, Brandon, that was the track that we were talking about. Brandon said uh, PBIR, Palm Beach International Raceway, uh, from my understanding, was sold to Walmart. Again, have not gotten confirmation from the track or from uh, the uh, from the county commissioner's office that handles uh, property transactions. Uh, nobody has responded to my requests for comment in regards to that. Uh, so Houston, Atlanta, Joliet. We talked about it earlier. A lot of it's property value and uh, some of it uh, not necessarily Atlanta or Houston. Houston's got good management. Atlanta was owned by NHRA, so big shocker. I mean, NHRA can't, get, couldn't get their way. They could fuck up a wet dream and get themselves lost in a paper bag. I don't know what the fuck they're doing over there. Uh, but they managed to sell Atlanta, which nobody was surprised about if you stand... When I was there last year, if you stood in the staging lane, you could see the housing development being created. So, uh, I mean, when, you, when you're building a housing development that close to the staging lanes, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? It's, yeah, you're going to lose your track. Uh, because nobody is going to build a housing development and have to deal with drag strip traffic. So, with that said, some of the other issues, and I did address this uh, somewhere online this week, uh, there's a lot of issues with shitty track management, um, shitty fan base. And what I mean by shitty fan base is um, the f these fucking fans that go on and on about how much they love drag racing, but you never see their asses at the track. All they do is sit on social media and fucking run their mouths and they never actually come out to the track. They don't support anything. Or the fans that show up and they've got their coolers full of beer and everything else. So they're not buying any concessions. Yeah, they're paying at the gate, but they're not they're not participating in anything as far as concessions or whatever else it may be. So you've got that. Um, a lack of willingness to spend money on your product. And that, again, comes down to shitty management. If you are not willing to invest in your own product and you just want to pocket all the money and, you know, do whatever you want to do with the money, go on vacations, buy fancy cars, whatever the fuck it is, um, don't expect your drag strip to stay open forever. I mean, it is what it is. I'm calling all of you out, any drag strip owner that's watching this or drag strip manager, listen, if you're not willing, there's a reason that. I did my list last week of my top 10 tracks in the country, and Brainington Motorsports Park in Florida was number one. And one of the reasons is the owner, Victor, has great management in place when he brought in Wade. He's got great staff with Dave Lansbury and some other people that are working there. And he's a fucking great owner. 
um, there are not a whole lot of great track owners in our industry. Um, there are some, but they don't want to spend the money and and advertising, billboards, radio ads. Um, they overprice their test and tune. They overprice their spectators. They don't work with the community in getting street racers to come out and create events for them and you know all the things that they could do and then they're so fucking cheap they won't hire somebody like me or somebody else to actually advise them on what's going to help they want everything for free so they they can get money and continue to create revenue but they don't want to make any improvements they don't want to add any lighting they don't want to you know it's it's so frustrating to see people piss and moan about drag strips going away when they had the opportunity to save them the whole time to begin with. Like, if you're sitting on your ass, if you're sitting on your ass in your <laughs> David Hilner, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna address that. Um, <laughs> um, if you are sitting on your ass on the couch because it's 80 degrees out or some shit like that and there's a drag strip 20 minutes 30 minutes from your house and they're having an event but you would rather sit your ass on the fucking couch don't call yourself a drag racing fan don't call yourself a fan if you've got the opportunity to go to your local track and support your local track and you choose not to if you choose not to, you are not a fan. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, a lot of this could be prevented. Obviously, larger scale places like a Houston, it's hard to turn down huge checks um, because you're not going to make that money uh, holding drag races. So, yeah, uh, some of them take the money and are like, I'm good with that. Uh, and communities are like, oh, yay, we get rid of drag racing. And I had this conversation with a track manager actually last night at about 1130 at night. We were talking about this, and I said, you know what the problem is with selling a racetrack? Most of the time you can't build residential housing on it because the soil samples will never fucking pass anything because the ground is polluted from some form or another. I mean, after 50 years of having race cars run up and down a, a surface, you're bound to have some some ground spoilage. But added to that is all these idiot-ass communities that think it's so great to get rid of drag racing and they're all hooting and hollering and happy when a drag strip closes until they realize the amount of fucking money that your community loses because you let that drag strip go. The amount of money that your hotels lose, that your gas stations lose, that your restaurants lose. And then, you know what they don't think about? These insurance auction places that buy up drag strips and demolish them to store flood-damaged cars or whatever it may be. They never thought about the fucking noise that comes along with transporting all of those vehicles in and out of the facility. All the semi-traffic and all the busted-ass cars 
that you have to look at driving through your neighborhood trying to get to that location. So you wanted the racers gone because it was too loud and noisy. Now you get to deal with the repercussions from that, which is lost income within your community and all of the noise that comes along with, like in auto auction place, because there is. Um, just ask E-Town how, how that uh, has gone. Um, and one other thing in regards to the reason that drag strips close, if you have good management, good management knows how to work with your local communities and build rapport. So if they're holding fundraisers, if they're abiding by curfews, if they're doing and making their best effort to better the community in which they're in, you're going to run into a lot less problems. If you have kids coming out there and they want to bring their parents, uh, or if you've got somebody in the community is having a problem and you decide to do a fundraiser, any of that type of stuff that you can do to engage the community is exactly what you need to do. Because that will help in the long term with keeping your drag strip viable and it'll make people want to come and see the products that you put on. Put on good products, treat the area that you're in as family and they will make you feel a lot more welcome than you could possibly believe. It is all about working with the community that you're in so that the community doesn't want you gone. Because the moment the community wants you gone, they can cause all kinds of fucking problems. But I think if you guys have one more question, I'll, I'll, I'll take one more question uh, before we log off of here. Uh, I've had a lot of fun doing this. I think we're going to do this a lot more, especially when I don't have a specific guest that I plan on interviewing. I think that we could definitely do some stuff like this. I'm just going to look back here for a moment and see if I missed any questions uh, in regards to uh, taxes. Yes. Uh, supporting local tracks. I'm just trying to see if anybody else had any questions that we could address tonight. And by the way, guys, I really appreciate everybody being on tonight. If you are listening to the audio version of the podcast, make sure that uh, you listen all the way through. And I appreciate you guys uh, sticking around, doing the Q&A. Uh, we will continue to, like I said, we'll continue to do this. Uh, for as long as possible and like I said I've got a whole list I've probably got a list of about 57 or 58 people right now that I want to interview for the podcast so obviously I can't do that week after week after week people are busy shit's going on uh, and I've got some stuff with Michael planned that we're going to do a yellow bullet as well uh, so with that said we are definitely going to have some great interviews, but I really like doing this interaction with you guys and talking to you guys about what I think and what I feel in regards to drag racing. 
Obviously, Scorched is a new podcast. Uh, I think you guys probably got a much better feeling from this episode uh, in regards to what this will be about versus uh, my intro podcast last week. So, with that said, uh, it doesn't... 57 or 56... Uh, Michael said, 57 or 58 podcasts to edit. Fuck me. Um... So, for those that don't know, Michael is actually doing all my editing, my video editing right now. I edit the audio form of the podcast. Michael edits the video uh, portion of the podcast. So, yeah, he's uh, he's going to fucking hate me by the end of the year. Um, but he is much better at that, and I know where my limitations are. So, I really appreciate everybody coming on here. Uh, we want to build Scorched into the best fucking podcast uh, in regards to motorsports and drag racing, especially drag racing in the entire industry. Uh, we do not uh, do the kitties and rainbows, as you can obviously tell. Uh, yes, I do swear a lot. Uh, it is who I am. Uh, and yes, I am educated too, even though that I swear. Uh, as some of you can see, I do have my master's degree so it's not like I'm stupid. I just, that's the way that I talk. So, uh, like I said, I appreciate everybody being involved this week. And make sure that you are subscribing on YouTube and podcasts, with the exception of Apple and Pandora right now, are available. They're available on all your other streaming podcast services as well as the E3 Extreme website itself. So, with that said, make sure that you are checking out e3extreme.com for news, editorial, and event coverage, and everything in between. Make sure that you are checking out and subscribing to the YouTube channel. Get your notifications there. We're going to try to do these every week. Uh, sometimes we'll do interviews, sometimes we'll do Q&A. just all depends on what I have planned. With that said, this has been another episode of Scorched. You've been listening to Scorched, Scorched. Raw, Raw. Real, Real, and Unfiltered. Join us next time when Damon scorches it all again to find previous episodes, news, commentary, and event coverage. Head to E3 Extreme. There is no one better.